0: Let us pray once again, and then go into our meditation for this morning. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to enter your presence. Not now, but since we gathered, since we started and agreed to gather together in your name. When the church is united to worship, we are in your presence. That is an amazing privilege. And we thank you for that. We thank you for this day that most Christians celebrate the resurrection in a special way. We thank you for what the resurrection means and is to us, for what it is to the gospel. We thank you for the one who resurrected from the dead as the first fruits, our Savior, our God, our Redeemer our friend, our wonderful, merciful Savior, as we just sang, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Thank you for him. May he be exalted in our lives. May he be exalted in our works, in what we do, even in the few minutes we spend together, gathered in his presence. May all the glory and honor go to your son, Go to you, our Father. Go to your Holy Spirit. Amen. Before Christianity, and we already had our text read to us, so we we, will skip that part. Before Christianity, many Eastern religions celebrated resurrections celebrated resurrection of their gods, little g. The spring festival, the equinox festival, was celebrated from before Christ. I have my theory. I believe it was the devil deceiving the nations, knowing what the Old Testament said about the resurrection of Messiah, but that's another subject and another topic now in our western culture we celebrate easter and people say happy easter and the easter bunny and the egg hunting well that comes from a pagan goddess of the saxons and uh, it was the yaster goddess that's where easter comes from I don't want to rain on your parade if you go hunting, if you celebrate the Easter bunny and all of that, but you have to know it is a pagan tradition. Why I say those things? Because I don't want your children to go into college, take their philosophy or sociology or whatever class 101, and have a wise teacher mix the mysticism of Christianity with other religions and just pack them all together in one big myth because it's all the same. No, it is not. Now, if we don't train them in the truth, if we don't take the time to teach our children the truth of scripture and of history, somebody else will do and Easter Bunny and egg hunts in churches will not hold water when that day comes. So it is our job as parents to do that for them. Now, the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. decided that this would be Easter Sunday. Not the New Testament, but the Council 300 plus years after the resurrection of Christ decided that the Sunday after full moon equinox would be Resurrection Sunday. Why are you so mean and raining on our parade? I'm just telling you the facts of life. So that you know them and realize what Freddie said. We celebrate the resurrection Sunday every Sunday. Every first day of the week we gather to remember that Jesus rose from the dead. A biblical fact. The New Testament does not command any... Something broke here? Yes? Okay. (laughs) Let's put it down here. (laughs) Like we did in high school, right? Putting the chewing gums under the desk. Well, don't do that, kids. Um, The New Testament does not command the celebration of any religious feast at all. The only commanded celebration of the New Testament is that we do not forsake the gathering of ourselves together as it is the habit of some, so that we gather as a church to exhort one another to love and to good deeds. Again, not here to rain on your parade, (laughs) just here to tell you this is out there. It is available on the internet. It is available in schools and universities. We better learn them, (laughs) and then we realize where our faith is grounded and where does it stand. Now, is our belief on the resurrection of Jesus a myth? Is that a hoax? Is that fake news? Is that one more of the many myths that people believe, and we just have received them over the years by tradition? And but it really didn't happen. Science has taught us that it is impossible for a person to rise from the dead. Therefore, it is impossible for Jesus to have risen from the dead. Is that the case? Can we prove the resurrection? No, we can't. We don't have a scientific way of observing the resurrection, repeating it under different circumstances, testing it and coming to the scientific conclusion that it happened. Because we cannot even repeat it again. So, no, it is not science. I believe in the resurrection and I'm pretty sure that Many of you here, we accept it by faith. God opens our eyes and we believe. People believe in something, well, we believe in the resurrection by faith. And faith, scripture says, is a gift of God. It's not even something we muster up on ourselves. God has to give us the faith to believe his word, to believe his message. So I believe it by faith. Now, is that faith irrational? I don't think it is. First of all, because the historicity of Jesus is undeniable. You can believe whatever you want, but you cannot wipe out from history the person of Jesus the Christ. Historian Michael Grand asserts that in conventional, if conventional standards of historical textual criticism were applied to the New Testament, we can no more reject Jesus' existence then we can reject the existence of a mass of pagan personages whose reality, whose reality as historical figures is never questioned. So if you say, we're going to deny Jesus, that's a myth? You have to deny a lot of people in history, including some of your favorite philosophers and warriors and people from of old. So the argument of the historicity of Christ does not hold water against the reality of historical evidence. Now, there are other historical documents that prove the existence of Christ. Josephus from the first century, even the Mishnah of the Jews, Tacitus, and others. Many apocryphal documents that spoke and wrote about Jesus, even from a religious point of view. It's undeniable what I find interesting is that people who accept the reality of Jesus based on those documents they stop at the resurrection so it's kind of a pick and choose of what I want to believe about Jesus what I say is historical and what I say is mythological and then the text in Romans comes to mind people suppress the truth in unrighteousness the problem of the unbeliever is not lack of evidence is not lack of rationality it's not lack of logic. No, it's that I don't want this one to reign over us. I don't want to have somebody I will give an account to. Therefore, let me suppress his existence. Those who accept the historicity of Jesus by the Gospels cannot reject logically and rationally the historicity of his resurrection. Now, Resurrection myths in pagan religions had a characteristic that is different about the resurrection of Jesus. Which one? That those resurrection myths disappeared throughout history. You really have to dig deep in the internet and find out what they were. The reality of Jesus' resurrection is undeniable. You cannot escape it. You cannot get rid of that presence worldwide. You could even be in cultures that are not Christian, and they still know of the resurrection of Jesus. You could even be in Muslim cultures, Oriental cultures, still the resurrection of Jesus is at least told and explained, even as if they were explaining some historical or religious fact. The resurrection of Jesus could have not survived the fake news test. I have, over the years, perhaps not gained enemies, but I have been isolated by certain groups that love those fake news places and sites. I I barely get in my social media feeds Fake news and, and, and extraordinary news information because the AI algorithm knows that I'm not into that. Because fake news have certain characteristics. The first thing is that you can just go to hoax.com or snobs.com or is it true that? And you immediately find out oh, that's an invention. That's another story. I remember, two years ago, I was asked to go and preach to pastors in the Dominican Republic about what are the challenges that pastors and preachers in the 21st century have. And I said to them, one of them is that you have to build credibility on facts. Back in the day, 40, 45 years ago, any preacher would come with any story and people would say, oh, awesome, wonderful. It was just a pulpit made story. Nobody could verify it. And I said, you have to be very careful because now your credibility will be lost before you end the sentence because somebody will Google if what you're saying is true. Could the resurrection take or pass the fake news test? Well, here's a problem. The sacred books of a historically opposing religion foretold it. The Old Testament is our Bible, along with the New Testament. But the Tanakh of the Jews (laughs) opposes what our New Testament teaches. You talk to any Jew, to any believing Jew, and he will say, No, no, the New Testament is an invention. And it's just a coining of Christians about this historical rabbi who was not even bona fide because he was not from the schools of rabbis, and they just came up with this religion. That's what the Jews believe about the New Testament. But in their Old Testament, or in their Tanakh, which is our Old Testament, the resurrection was foretold. Psalm 16, Hosea 6, even the, the case of Abraham in Genesis 22 foretelling the, resu- the resurrection of God's Son, Isaiah 53, 10 through 11. The resurrection was foretold in the book of the opposing enemy, of the opposing religion, where the myth started to spread. But that's a hard one for, f- for fake news. Women were the first witnesses. In the passage Freddie read, John hones into Mary Magdalene. The other Gospels mention other women who went to the tomb. And they were the witnesses of the empty tomb. There's a problem. If you really want to start a good rumor, let's, let's create something cool. Let's, let's become viral and invent something that will get us hit on the Internet. Well, in those days, you would not start your story with a witness of women. Why? Because in those days, women were not credible witnesses. The testimony of a woman would not even hold water in court. Women were despised. Now, one of the statements about Scripture giving women their honor as equal to men is that you find a lot of prominent women, and God made sure that the first witnesses of the resurrection were women, not men. So when somebody tells you, oh, the Bible is a chauvinistic book, first of all, it's anachronistic, because that is before that. And secondly, no, you read the Bible, and you find out that the Bible treats women not according to the culture of its times. Here's one case. So if you really wanted to create a good rumor, no, you're not going to start with women at a tomb. Those who spread the rumor, the disciples, where were they? Hiding in a room. Why? Because they were afraid. What were they doing three days before? Running, hiding, because they were afraid of the Roman soldiers and of the Jews and of everybody else when Jesus was taken to judgment and to crucifixion. So the same individuals who three days before were hiding, and even when the resurrection takes place, they are hiding, are the ones who spread the rumor. That's a really bad way to start something. You want to start a political party or some kind of movement, please don't follow the New Testament pattern because it's really exactly the opposite of what you should do. And then you have the Roman soldiers catch 22. This is a good one. The Jews, the Pharisees go to Pilate. After Jesus is dead and buried, they say, this false teacher, this charlatan, said he was going to rise on the third day. We don't want the disciples to come and steal the body. This is recorded in the Gospels. And Pilate told them, go seal the tomb as you know how. So they get a Roman, not a battalion, but they get a Roman Navy SEAL team, a SEAL and a 4,000 pound rock to cover the tomb. It was, a, it was a cave hewn on a rock. So imagine 10 to 12 Roman soldiers, a seal with iron, and a 4,000 pound tomb. Now three days later, these soldiers have to report that the disciples stole the body. If that happened, imagine reporting to the commander, Commander, this fisherman who were chickens, who were running three days before, they really came and overtook us. Really? The most powerful army on earth? And they also broke the seal. Really? With what instrument? Because they're fishermen. And they also moved the 4,000 pound. You really need a big Komatsu bulldozer to do that. They did all of that! They, they would have done that at the expense of their lives. They would have been executed so that's a really hard thing for Roman soldiers to have explained to their commanders. And then the story started right where it happened. Normally, I remember this, this good man. He was a believer. And uh, we would go. Remember, this happened in Poland. We were at a meeting at one of our factories in Poland. And he was explaining to us of this resurrection that took place in China. That was back in the 90s. Internet was not as easy to access as it is today. So yeah, it's very easy to explain that I know this preacher that did a resurrection in China. Yeah, who's going to go to China to find out? where exactly in China. Who was he? So normally, yes, you want to spread those rumors very far from the place they happened. The problem with this one is that it started right where it happened. And it still held water. Everybody had time to disprove it. It was easy to say, what are you talking about? The guy's buried. They couldn't disprove it. The resurrection took place at, a, at an irrelevant place. I mean, I know that Jerusalem is at the center of our Bibles. And if you're a dispensationalist... Jerusalem is at the center of your theology and eschatology. But really in history, Jerusalem was a little town from a little people in a small area of land where there were some hecklers living there and that was really a far outpost in the Middle East. Nothing to do with being a center of cultural influence. And yet, this rumor happening there took over the whole world. Those who spread it were not influencers. They're not the people you study in your history books. They're not the people you find in museums. They're not the people that were controlling communications and power back in the day. The resurrection could not be stopped by the most powerful military machine at the time, by the most powerful army at the time, by the most powerful government at the time, who opposed Christianity, who persecuted and martyred Christians for speaking about the resurrection. And even they couldn't stop it. And then Paul says, 25 years later, after the resurrection, that there were hundreds of witnesses. Not a couple of people, hundreds of them. 1 Corinthians 5, 13, 8 For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelfth. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living 25 years later. That's really a hard one to keep as fake and to disprove And here we are, 2,000 years later, celebrating it. The resurrection has a lot more than being a simple universal myth. How could cowardly people die except for John the Apostle? All of the other apostles died as martyrs for being witnesses of the resurrection. How can we explain that? And how can we explain the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of martyrs after them in history because of the resurrection? How can we explain a religion that has impact worldwide across every tribe and tongue and nation, everywhere you go, whether it is a Muslim place or not, you have a witness of the gospel and of Christianity. How can you explain that with a fake Myth story. If you don't believe the resurrection, that's fine. I believe it by faith. But don't tell me you don't believe it because it's a myth. You need a lot more to convince me that it's a myth. Now, why the resurrection? The resurrection of Christ is a central doctrine of the gospel. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen says, If Christ has not been raised your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. I know that there is a cult that loves that passage. Right, Tony? Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, you cannot be only hoping in Christ. Because if we only hope in Christ, we are the most miserable and pitiable of all people. Well, it has a context. The context is, yes, if Christ did not rise from the dead, guys, what are you doing here? Honestly, What on earth are you doing here if there's no resurrection? If there's no resurrection, there's no gospel. There's no Bible. There's nothing. If the resurrection of Christ didn't take place, if you move that away, the whole building crumbles. Everything stands on the resurrection of Christ. Why? Briefly, because it proves Jesus' holiness. The whole message of the gospel is Christ came to live in the place of people and then to die in the place of those he came to live for. He came to obey the whole law which no one can. Until I was 17 years and a half, I believed that I was a good boy. And I was a good boy. And then somebody opened the Bible and said, Do you really love God with all your heart and mind and soul? No, I don't. That's the first commandment. You want us to keep going? The tenth one is you shall not envy. (laughs) You shall not desire anything that belongs to your neighbor. Nothing at all. Oh, I'm not an envious person. You've never, ever, 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 ever envied. Never, ever, ever, ever driven through gables by the bay. Or Fort Lauderdale by the sea. And seen one of those beautiful ocean mansions. And you've never said, Oh, if I would have one of those. <laughs> never, ever. Then you're a liar and you bro- broke another commandment. We can't keep the law. We can't. Jesus came to die. First to live keeping all of the law. And then to die for those who deserve death for having broken the law. He ra- rose from the dead as proof that he never broke any commandment. None whatsoever never sinned, ever. Not in mind, not in intention, not in heart. Never, ever broke one commandment. Therefore, when he died, the full payment was accredited to the account of those who had broken it. And on the third day, he was left loose from the tomb. Peter says, the tomb could not contain him. He came to die for his people. Resurrection is the proof of His holiness. Resurrection is the public declaration that He is the Son of God. Oh, but we're all sons of God. No, we're not in the same measure Jesus is. He is God of God, light of light, true God of true God. That declaration of the Nicene Creed is biblical. He is the only begotten of the Father from all eternity. And according to Romans 1, 4 and 5, He was declared Publicly to be the Son of God through the resurrection of the dead. That is the proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and who what the Bible says he is. Thirdly, the resurrection was God's stamp of approval on his work on the cross and on his life. Because of the resurrection, The sufficiency of Christ's death was sealed and shown. Romans 4.25 says, something that sometimes confuses Christians, He was raised for our justification. You say, but didn't He die for our justification? No, He was raised for our justification. Why His resurrection and not His death? Because the resurrection proves that He indeed died to justify sinners. The resurrection was the proof that God said, yes, your death on the cross is sufficient. Here's a, here's a marking point of biblical, evangelical, reformed Christianity. Salvation is a gift of God. I'm quoting scripture. It is not of works. And it is solely the work of God by grace and only by grace, and not by works, so that no one should boast. And it cannot be a mix of works and grace, because if it were a mix, then the grace would have not been grace. And it can only be justification by faith in Christ. whom God said, as the one who would be the justifier and the justifying of sinners. The resurrection is the stamp of approval of God, of Jesus' work. And the resurrection is God's amen to one of the most powerful things Jesus said on the cross. That is my consolation when my soul goes dark, when my mind goes into realms that I don't even want to think about. But Jesus said, Tetelestai. It is finished. The Telestai was what you signed at the end of a contract. The executable of the contract. Finished. Take it. It's done. When Jesus was done paying on the cross for sin, he said, It is finished. Nothing else needs to be added to the work of redemption. Nothing else needs to be added to save those I came to die for. Nothing else needs to be completed. No work, no sacrifice, no effort, no holiness of me. Nothing you can do needs to be added to what Jesus, God, did completely on the cross. It is finished. The resurrection is the proof of God said, yes, it is finished. It's done. Nothing else to add. And the resurrection of Jesus... (laughs) Anticipate our resurrection. I want to be careful how I say this. Because I don't want to sound I don't want to pass to you some of the dark features of my mind. I'm I I feel like like Kierkegaard at points that I'm an existentialist Christian because sometimes I just stand back and say there has to be something more than this. This is too stupid. This is a bad joke. Life is too cruel and too stupid to be all there is. Oh, but I have my children and I have my life and it's going to be fun. It's not going to be fun. I'm 60. I'm telling you, it's a lie. (laughs) Hollywood, it's a lie. So there has to be something more. Why am I alive? 70 years, 65, 50, 30, whatever. Why? To die do you know? Somebody stand up here and tell me what's your name of the great-great-great-great-grandmother. Stand up and tell me. You will be the great-great-great-grandmother or father of somebody one day. And they will not give a squad about you. <laughs> except if you left them some money, but they will not even know who that rich grandfather was. So who cares? This is what cares. 1 Thessalonians four, thirteen and 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. And that's the deal of the resurrection. It gives meaning, purpose, and sense to an otherwise bad joke. I'm telling you some of my sins right now because I have told God in tears sometimes from a very dark place of my soul. Are you a cosmic cynic? Are you a cosmic clown? You made me to die and that's it? The answer is no. No. I rose my son, and as he rose, you will be reasoned to. Telling my wife yesterday, coming back from Naples, what would it be to live without guilt, without fear, and without remorse? I want you to please think of it no guilt, nothing that I feel bad or guilty about, no fear. Nothing that causes me anxiety. Nothing that makes me lose some sleep at night. And no regret. Nothing that I can say, ah, darn, why did I do that? Nothing. You know what's that? Heaven. That's heaven. One day God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, will remove, will show us, you're free, you're guiltless, you are redeemed. There's nothing against you. All those sins are in the bottom of the ocean. Come live. And that's why Jesus says, I have come, that you may have life and may have it abundantly. Now, that's the language that sinners understand. That's not a language that others care for, because all their life is on this earth. And Jesus' resurrection changed the prescribed day of worship for most of us. Some Christians worship on Saturdays. Oh, no, if you worship on Saturdays, you cannot be a Christian. Oh, yes, you can be. Because many of those that Paul wrote to in Romans 14 worshipped on Saturday. And others today even have to worship on Saturday, some on Friday. Because if you want to evangelize in a Muslim country, you'll have to do your services on Friday. Because on Sunday, everybody's working. And if you want to evangelize in Israel, even though it's illegal, you have to do your services either on Fridays or on Sundays perhaps on the sabbath on their sabbath the resurrection is an encouragement to not lose heart in working whatever it is you do doing it for the lord this is how paul wrote it he says oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting so the sting of death is sin And the power of sin is the law, but thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, and the context is the resurrection. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The resurrection is not that we live a life of contemplative passivity. I have challenged some Christians who believe that good works is just being in their office, reading their old Puritan books, reading theology, meditating about theology, and talking theology. There's a lot more to good works than that. Now go. Be engaged. Be engaged. Be abounding in the work of the Lord. And the work of the Lord is not just, as Freddie asked, we have a lot of ministries that you can be part of. Please join. No, it's not just the ministries of the church. Whatever you do, you are doing it for the Lord if you do it for Him. Paul said that to slaves. You're being a slave, you're being beaten all day to do your job. Do it because it is Christ, the Lord, whom you serve. In whatever capacity and calling you have right now, whatever thing you have to do tomorrow, you do it for the Lord. And Paul says, it is not in vain. Therefore, abound in it. Why? Because of the resurrection. Abounding in the activity of the Lord, being lavished, Excellent, abundant, first in, last out. Remember telling my son that. Do you want to succeed at work? You can have the greatest resume. You can have two masters, one PhD, one postdoctorate, and the most noble and lofty resume. Do you want to move up in life? Arrive first and live last. And be the one who works the hardest. You may not be the smartest, but nobody will outwork you. Nobody will beat you in diligence. Nobody will beat you in trying your best. Even if you strike out, you took the best swing you had at it. When you do it for the Lord, your work is not in vain. He sees it. From Him will come the reward. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. So we can say, not only today, but every Lord's Day, Happy Resurrection Day. Jesus is risen. Yes, Jesus is risen indeed. Let us pray. Father, take your word and use it according to your purposes and for your glory. Encourage your people. Admonish, teach, prod, exhort, give life, sustain, strengthen, comfort. What are the needs? of our small congregation. You know them. Use the resurrection fact to encourage your people to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.